I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Talia Bacassis. And I'm Kim France. Hi. Hi, honey. So I know we talk all the time, but I think it's time for a little check-in for the listeners. So how have you been? Well, I've been in Sag Harbor for most of the summer. My, my family has a house here, and we've been pretty sausaged in together, Um but it was a really nice summer, but I came back for a few days to the city after Labor Day and had a really tough time being back. Okay. You know, eventually I was fine with it, but at first it was really like a shock. But I also think there are a lot of nice things about the city right now. All the restaurants out on the sidewalk, or it's very European feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what they're all going to do when winter comes, but it's nice now. So now you're back in Sag Harbor. Now I'm back in Sag Harbor. I'm very happy staying out here. It's it's really surprising to me that this much time in the country has been satisfying. (laughs) I forgot to tell you the scariest thing that happened yesterday. Oh, what? I was in Manhattan yesterday morning, and I was walking the dog to the garage to go pick up the car and walk the Mm -hmm. dog. And um, he got off the leash. Oh, like on Essex Street, a very busy two way street that like, you know, is right near the Williamsburg Bridge. Oh, my God. And I have always suspected that if such a thing happened, he would head for the hills. And that is precisely what he did. He just took off. How did you get him back? Well, all of these wonderful New York people who are so underrated in this way, like came to my aid and like all these people and I were like trying to get him back and chasing him. <laughs> but then the more we chased him, the more he, um, the more he ran away, but I had to keep up with him because he kept turning corners oh and God. things like that. But all these people helped me and that's how we got Mr. Back. Wait, but did this restore your faith in New York? It did help my faith in New York. It definitely did, because people were so Mm -hmm. wonderful about it. You know, a guy was like shouting out of a car window, don't chase him, he'll just run away. (laughs) 
How are you? I'm good. Um, my kids started in-person school, so this is my older son's second week, but it's my younger son's third week. And I'm really relieved that they're back at school because I think they really need it, but it's stressing me out a little bit because they're exposed to so many more people. I'm trying to figure out if we can still see my dad indoors. It mm -hmm. seems to me like no, but he seems <laughs> unwilling to uh, not see his grandchildren, which is understandable. But, you know, I said to him, I'm not sure we should be seeing you anymore. And he was like, who said that? <laughs> I said, well, people like society is saying that. He's like, the school told you that? And I said, I'm like, no, that's just the wisdom of the moment. Like my each of my kids is in a bubble with 30 other children. It just doesn't seem wise. He's 82. It's not a good idea, but he's a hard sell in that area. So I love all stories about your dad. I know. <laughs> He's great, but not that willing to adhere to the rules of public health. So let's talk about today's episode. One of the things that we always wanted to do with this show was not only approach episodes as subjects, but also do interviews with people who we love and admire. And so today we have Stella Bugbee. Can you describe like why you think she should be on the show? Well, Stella Bugby um, edits The Cut, which is New York Magazine's like lifestyle vertical. Oh, I thought it was specifically geared to women. I was trying to not say women just because that's oh. not so women's. But that it is. is it's, their, it's their women's vertical. It is. And she's done a really amazing job, I think, and we talk about it a little in the episode, of broadening what women's content is, the definition mm -hmm. of what women's content can be. She's also just, she edits the section in such a rigorous and smart way. You read a piece and you feel like I'm reading a cut piece. There's a real voice there and a real attitude. It, mm -hmm. you know, I think the thing about New York Magazine always has been that people have said, like, it exists to make me feel bad about myself and my life and that I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not on to all the things they're on to. But the cut doesn't feel that way at all. It feels very inclusive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, I also think it's really interesting that she came from an art department background, but then got a big editor job. That's really rare. And she's one of those people who seems to have been made for the term effortlessly cool. Yeah. So Stella is the senior vice president and editor-in-chief of The Cut. She edits the fashion issues of New York Magazine. She's also the executive producer of The Cut's podcast, which just launched its new season, hosted by the wonderful Avery Truffleman. And previously, she was the creative director at fashion agency AR New York and the design director at Domino Magazine, and she has three kids. Here is our conversation with Stella Bugby. Welcome, Stella. Hi, thanks for having me. I developed a complex just reading your bio. <laughs> I am going to try to keep my fangirl in check. How old are you? I am 44. <laughs> So you're 44, but you're running a magazine that is primarily aimed at a younger demographic. So how do you personally stay relevant? Yeah, I started the job when I was 35, which felt like a perfect mm -hmm. time to take over that project. And mm -hmm. um, it's funny, I was just telling this to somebody the other day that I feel like working on The Cut has kept me engaged in culture in a way that I probably wouldn't have 
been otherwise. Like Mm -hmm. it has exposed me to so many young people that I work with, but also just kept me, forced me to sort of stay abreast of like everything that's happening all the time. You know, I like doing that. So it's not a trouble for me, but it's, I don't think I would have otherwise. And now what's funny is that Mm -hmm. I have teenagers now. And so they, they do that a lot for me. Um, I'm now bringing ideas to meetings that, you know, my 20 and 30 year old employees haven't heard of yet because <laughs> now, now I have this new generation of, of, you know, young people in my own home who are exposing me to ideas. And so, I don't know. And they're like, how did you hear of that? Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't really think about staying relevant. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy culture. I really enjoy trends. And when I say that, I mean it really broadly. Like I really enjoy thinking about what is motivating people to do things across culture. So it's not just like, what kind of cool jeans should they wear? But like, why are people suddenly moving to a certain city? Or why are, you know, people finding God? Or why are people talking about me, me mm-hmm. too? Like, to me, it's all part of a big continuum. Do you find that there's ever a, do you ever feel pressure to stay relevant? Like, I remember when I worked at New York Magazine briefly and many years ago, my older brother said to me, when you work at a place like New York Magazine, nothing cool is cool enough and nothing new is new enough. And you're just in this constant cycle of trying to like track down the next thing. And I thought that was kind of true. It's <laughs> kind of clever. Yeah. I mean, this is it's going to sound disingenuous, but it's true. I really don't think about that. I just right. follow what is interesting you know, to me and to my writers and, and my editors. So I have put a lot of trust in them. And, the, you know, if they come and tell me so-and-so is really interesting and I've never heard of that person, I'll say, well, what what do you like about them? And I've got, you know, enough of a rapport and enough trust in them to believe that they're telling me the truth. And then we, you know, we just act quite instinctively. I don't really think about trying to bring people the newest thing or anything well, like that. It, it sounds like you trust your gut and you allow your staff to trust their gut. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we could produce so much otherwise. <laughs> it's just right. there's a really high volume. Now, when we met, you were the design director at Domino. That's an art department job. That's a really rare leapfrog to make. How did that happen? Well... a lot of luck I think was involved and relationships that I'd had when they were redoing the cut you know a big part of the cut was visual and I think that the ability to think editorially is not necessarily something that is as segmented as people make it out to be who work in magazines so Mm -hmm. in my experience the best photo editors understand words and the best art directors understand information design and the best editors understand photographs. Like it was a joy to edit photos with Adam, but I'd always had a really big interest in writing. And I think that I was just lucky. I got lucky and I didn't take that for granted. Well, I read that you were um, sitting in a park with your twin babies on maternity leave when they called you to head up the cut. (laughs) No, that was Domino actually. Yeah. I had been on maternity leave for 18 months, well, I'm not maternity leave. I was unemployed <laughs> at the time. <laughs> um, wasn't a leave. It was uh, no job. And um, yeah. yeah, and I, uh, Deborah was looking for a design director, and I had gone to college with the people who had originally designed Domino in the first place. It was, again, it's like a situation where the people that I worked with knew what I was capable of and, and recommended me, and then I went in, and I knew going into that job that, 
it was going to sort of change my life. And I, I wasn't even sure I wanted it, but I knew I needed to get out of the sandbox and <laughs> into the, <laughs> the literal sandbox, the literal sandbox and into the world again. And, um, and I, you know, a lot of the things that I've done career wise have been in hopes that they would open up other doors. I didn't necessarily have a huge plan going into the cut. I thought I was going to be a lot shorter of a stint than it has turned out to be. <laughs> Mm -hmm. honestly but when you were in that unemployed moment did you doubt that you could do it did you have you had moments where you're like I don't know if I can do this well it wasn't so much that I didn't think I could do it it was more like okay what has to change about our lives to accommodate this massive shift and can we can we accommodate that and that's a family conversation that like my husband and, and I have had a few times over the years and with regards to his career as well like this is a big leap. How are we going to change our routines? How are we going to fix things so that, you know, suddenly if I'm not home or you're not home, how are we going to be a family? Because family, our family is, you know, the foundation of our lives. And so it's, it's all about working around that. It's not so much that I didn't think I could do that job. I knew I could do that job. It was just like, it's literally like, how do the logistics line up to make that possible? And at that time, right. I was only I was only thirty. It felt a lot more doable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, just because I've taken, I took six years off. I mean, off. I was a freelancer, so I wasn't working for six years when my kids are really little. And I've often felt held back, but not more in what you're describing. Like, well, if my husband's working eighty hours a week, somebody has to be available, so I can't do exactly the level of work that I want to do. So, I guess my question is, how did you manage that? the work-life balance part of it? Well, I had a lot of help from my family, Mm -hmm. who I live with, my mother and my stepfather. And um, I don't think I could have done it. They live with you? They live downstairs from us. And um, both both he and I are busy and ambitious. And, you know, he has his own great studio (laughs) practice. And so... Yeah, we we both had to accommodate and downshift some of our goals, but also we got help from my parents and we hired help. Mm-hmm. And then we prioritized the kids. So we come home every night and have dinner as much as possible. And it's not easy. I, I, I'm not, I would not want to make it seem like it's easy, but I also don't want to downplay how much help we had. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's really amazing though, to have um, family members living in the same building. That seems like a really ideal good life hack. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So there's a feature on The Cut, which I love, called How I Get It Done, where successful women tell us how they manage it all. And so that was, I guess, a little foray into that. But I want to hear, well, first of all, I love them a lot, but I read that you don't like to give advice. (laughs) So why is that? When somebody gives me advice, I generally have a negative reaction to it myself. Like I I rarely take (laughs) advice. So then I feel weird about dispensing it because I don't follow anyone else's advice usually. But some of it isn't advice. It's it's like, oh, this is how I do it. Maybe this could work for you. Yeah, well, so Maybe that's a difference. relating to the column, it's more like showing different ways of living. Mm-hmm. The biggest impetus behind that is that there is no one right way to do it. You know, we're not saying live your life like this. We're saying live your like, life like you need to live your life. Here's some examples of how other people live their lives. Take mm-hmm. little samplings from what they did so that you can apply them to your life in interesting ways or, or take inspiration from them. Like I definitely believe the opposite of, I think what most women's magazines will tell you, which is that there is a correct way to do something. 
you know, getting back to just moving from the art department to being an editor. It's like that doesn't happen because people don't think it can happen. People don't think mm-hmm. that they can just shift or that there's a world of options open to them waiting. I think that that's uh, a mindset that we've been told, like, you have to follow a certain path and you have to, it has to look like this. And it's like, it doesn't have to look like that at all. You can, right. you know, whatever, whatever works for you, as long as it's not hurting other people, like, do that. So tell us how you do it. How, what time do you wake up in the morning? Do you have breakfast? Like, what's a typical morning like? Well, a typical morning now is really strange. Um, yeah. Do you want, like, pre-COVID morning or... <laughs> No, 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 because, you know, that doesn't matter to anybody anymore. So <laughs> go with now. I like to get up early. I um, I like to get a lot of things done early. If I can exercise, I like to exercise. But I lately I haven't had time. What's early? I like to get up like seven o'clock, six, six, thirty seven. My son has our son has to get up now early to go back to school. And that's a drag because he has to get up at six. So that's a little too early. But um <laughs> In the summertime during COVID, like we were all living together and nobody was doing anything and we would get up and we would have (laughs) breakfast together, which was really lovely at at around 7.30 and my teenagers would sleep until like noon. (laughs) So we'd have a nice (laughs) quiet morning and I would get on calls and Zooms. I'm on calls and Zooms and working like all day, probably from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. But I take now that we're all at home, like more frequent breaks to eat with the kids or talk Mm. to the kids. What exercise do you do? I, because of COVID, have started taking Pilates classes on Zoom. Well, not even a class, actually. So I have this instructor who I was working with who's like half physical therapy and half Pilates. And I love her. If anybody wants a recommendation for a fantastic (laughs) Pilates person, you know, DM me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I've been I I did that this morning actually and it's been it's been great cuz we just she's incredible over Zoom and we just get on the I get on the mat and we work it out 3 times a week, which has been great. So, after 8 p.m., when you're done with work for the day or nominally done with work for the day, what do you do? Do you email friends? Do you watch Netflix? In the summertime, I was binge watching Mad Men with my daughter who's 15 and a half mm-hmm. and explaining history to her as we would watch it together. And she'd <laughs> right. say like, what does that mean? And, and it's really funny because it's actually quite a feminist show. So we would, would explain to her what was happening. And so the feminist sub-narrative to the, to the plot that was happening. And yeah, we watch TV. We play a lot of Boggle in our family. Um, <laughs> we, we hang out. We like have been spending a ton of family time together and it's been pretty much wonderful time to be like just around mm-hmm. these teenagers who would never be home otherwise, like in a normal, mm-hmm. on an, in normal life, they'd be out with their friends. But for the last six months, we've all been hanging out every night. <laughs> we put the little, we put the little one to bed and we play boggle and, and watch TV. How old is this youngest one? Uh, he's almost 10. Oh, that's the same as mine. But my kids spend all their free time fighting. <laughs> that's how we spend our time. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break for some ads. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25 percent off. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. I read that you used to hold a yoga block over your head for several minutes a day. So tell us about that exercise and what you got out of it. That exercise I started doing out of a kind of unhealthy competitive streak that um, (laughs) (laughs) somebody I know I heard did it and I was like, I bet I can do that. Can I do that? And um, I could. I don't, I haven't been doing it since I've started the Pilates, but it does a similar, it's a kind of mental endurance trick. It's like, once you know you can do it, you can do it. And then there's no excuse not to do it again, which seems masochistic and probably is. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's also like one of those punishments in, you hear stories in boarding schools where like the kids are made to hold a dictionary out on their outstretched arms for several minutes and nobody could do it. And they all have traumatized memories of it. I mean, it's self-inflicted, so there's no humiliation involved in it. It's just like (laughs) me in my own living room. But I just like the idea of um, forcing yourself past your comfort zone. I think that's what really appealed to me about it. Mm -hmm. I dislike forcing myself out of my comfort zone. (laughs) I spend so much of therapy talking about that. And (laughs) does your therapist say you should do it more often or what? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a little Buddhist, a little like sit with your discomfort. Sure. Mm. I'm, I'm trying. I'm getting better. But this isn't about <laughs> me. <laughs> Stella, you have Crohn's disease. I do. How do you manage that with everything else that you have going on? That's actually health challenges, I think, are the biggest unspoken obstacle that most women I know are dealing with. Hmm. You know, for years, I basically kept it to myself. I was very ashamed to admit that I had Crohn's disease for the first decade of after I was diagnosed, and nobody seemed to have it, and nobody ever talked about it. And I think autoimmune diseases were not as commonly recognized even right. 25 years ago when I was diagnosed with it. Coping with it has been sort of admitting that I have it. When I was uh, first diagnosed, I, I went to work. I had just graduated from college, and I went to work, and... I told my coworker and she started crying. Her very close friend had it and I didn't understand that reaction. I was like, well, whatever, it'll be fine. And the nature of a chronic illness hadn't dawned on me. I was only 22. How would I have any idea what chronic even meant? You know, I didn't understand what living with something like that would mean over several decades and beyond. Mm -hmm. And the Crohn's disease itself is sort of under control. Like I had to have surgery. I've you know, I'm off of most of the terrible medication, but it has shaped a lot of my decisions and it has been this shadow force in my life. And it, it has also morphed into other autoimmune diseases. So it's it's just this sort of like, now I understand what chronic illness means, that it, it doesn't go away and that it may come back and surprise you and that you may have to completely adjust your life like at the turn of a, what is the expression? Turn of a hat. <laughs> any, any, at any moment, you might need to say, Oh, like this way I thought I could function. Actually, I can't function that way. That's yeah. really hard. I don't think I necessarily would have had children, for example, so early if I hadn't had Crohn's disease. I don't think I would have taken the time off after the pregnancy if I hadn't had Crohn's disease. I don't think I would have had several things happen in my life if I hadn't had Crohn's disease. So it's not like a all negative or an all positive, but it's just coming to grips with what chronic illness means is, uh, is a lifelong process, actually. No, I think it's also true what you say that so many women suffer from chronic illnesses and suffer in silence. And it is important to bring it out of the shadows because when we all know what each other is living with, we definitely have a lot more compassion. Yeah, I have five. Over the years, I've had like five or six different people who work on the cut who have either Crohn's or colitis. And they're younger and at various phases with it or even just getting diagnosed and admitting it, even publicly admitting it has allowed other people to admit it and has allowed people to to seek empathy and understanding in the workplace that I'm capable of giving because yeah. I understand just how debilitating it can be at times. And so I hope that there are aspects of it that can be positive, actually. Do you think, I, in my own experiences with chronic illness, I've had some chronic pain. I've found that a key to overcoming it or becoming at peace with it is to stop thinking you're going to beat it. Right. I mean, that's what I mean about coming to terms with chronic, what that means yeah. is that yeah. it's never, it's not going away, right? It, it's there for you for life. And I think accepting that is the hardest thing to wrap your head around, actually. Right. Yeah. And, and managing pain and managing discomfort and managing periods of illness uh, require a kind of grit and resolve that if you don't have to do that, you just don't understand what it is. But in my experience, everybody comes to that place 
sooner or later. <laughs> it's like, yeah. in some ways, I just came to it in my early 20s. And some of my friends who were, remained incredibly healthy are suddenly coming to terms with a chronic illness in their, in their mid-40s or 50s. No one really gets off the hook with yeah. these things. And so it's just a matter of when. Now, what are the stories that you love assigning most? Hmm. I love assigning a story that will go nationally viral because it is so entertaining and wildly surprising that people cannot stop talking about it or sharing it. That's my favorite kind of assignment. So, Like Kara Balinick's... The Harvard professor. Who got, yes. Yeah, that was a great piece. Yeah, just these, these really surprising stories with a really human heart, like messy and provocative and and wild those are those are my favorite kind of stories but do you know they're going to be that in advance i've developed a pretty keen sense of what i think will work now and take off like we just uh last couple weeks had a story about the family that unadopted their son yes um that that's one of those pieces that went wildly viral um (laughs) And those are long form reported pieces. I love to do pieces like that. But I also love the really funny, short form, hilarious, bloggy takes on things. I think there's no shame in toggling between all those different types of forms. Like I'm definitely not a snob about, oh, it has to be a like 4,000 words and reported and take 16 months to report. You know, it's like you can have an incredibly great, powerful little piece that takes you a day to write that changes the way people think about things. And that's also really satisfying. I really love the, I think about this a lot. I yeah. think that's a, a pretty prime example of that. Yeah, that is one. That's a, the, I think about this a lot is like a fun, pegless, mm-hmm. conversation starting type of piece where you asked me about how I think about staying relevant. It's like when you assign a piece like that or you create a column like that, it's not about relevance at all. You know, it's it's just about voice and it's about right. being about being entertaining. And so it's about finding people that are super fun to read and who you want to know and be around. And that has nothing to do with what's happening, right, at all. It could be something that happened 20 years ago. I'm thinking about the story about the couple that rehomed their child because I actually was fascinated by that story. And before you guys did the piece on it, wasn't finding any really satisfying piece on it that like explained it to me and I think what you guys have is a very good radar for you know matching the writer to the topic and giving everybody the satisfying piece on something that's out there that they're craving yeah and you can do that in a super short way or a long way like you can talk about Brad Pitt the minute he's having some viral moment in the most satisfying and funny way and Mm -hmm. that's what everybody's craving that day and then you can you can give them a big meal like the unadopted story, which will tri- they will have thought about because they will have registered that news and you know they will have registered it and all your friends will have registered it because everybody was talking about it. And those are equally satisfying, I think. It's kind of like, what are you texting your friends? Are you, what are you sharing right. in your group <laughs> exactly. chat? There was a t- small Twitter backlash last week over some se- of some of the sex diaries. <laughs> um what is the idea behind the sex diaries? And also, how do you make sure they're not fake? Because commenters frequently speculate, like almost regularly speculate that they are. <laughs> um, we fact check them and we check out the people and we 
they aren't fake. They are real. (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. Slate did a really funny response. I don't know if you saw it about like all the questions they had after reading that one sex diary from (laughs) recent sex diary. Um, You know, that's a classic example of a column that everybody loves to rag on, but everybody reads. And I, yes, I'm totally fine with that. Like, (laughs) You know, who cares? It's very entertaining. I thought it was great. Great. I went on Twitter and I see like a hundred mentions about blueberry lube and I'm like, oh God, (laughs) no, what's what's happening? (laughs) And, you know, whatever. Everybody enjoys it. I think everybody on Twitter especially needs something to hate and it's fun. I'm happy to provide the sex diaries if that's what it takes. <laughs> that's a very great, that's awesome. valid target. Yeah, I'm going to set a Google alert for myself for blueberry lube. <laughs> I think it was the fact that it was a tub of blueberry lube that everybody was like, what is a tub of blueberry lube? But yeah. Do you agree with the recent um, New York Times Magazine article that fashion is dead and we, moving forwards, we're just going to all be a sweatpants nation? No, not at all. Of course not. Everybody, the most thing (laughs) that people want is change. And so if everybody's wearing sweatpants for six months, they're not going to want to wear sweatpants in a year from now. It's just human nature is to want the opposite of what you've got. And that's what I, Mm. that's what I suspect. Yeah. What do you think the future of fashion shows is? It seems to me they were, you know, not just to me, but to a lot of people, like they were already on their way out when COVID hit. What's funny is that... I've been getting emails that are like, you have been invited to an exclusive Zoom preview of this <laughs> of this show. And uh, I, we keep joking that fashion just lives to be exclusive. That's the whole yeah. purpose of it. So it's not going to give that ghost up easily. And I don't, I don't know exactly if there will be shows in person. I imagine there will be in the future. But uh, even if there aren't, they're going to find a way to make it exclusionary, I'm sure. Right. I wrote about indie rock before I, you know, my life took a turn into fashion. And um, I used to say that the indie rock world was a celebration of having been a loser in high school. And the fashion in the fashion world, the fact that you were a loser in high school was your most closely guarded secret. That's funny. That's funny. I mean, I, I come to the fashion world as like a true anthropologist and for that reason, really enjoy it because it, I don't feel personally validated or rejected one way or the other. It's, I look at it like I'm studying like apes in the wild. Like I'm like, wow, what is happening? <laughs> what are these dynamics, these strange human behaviors, um, which enables me to keep a healthy mental distance from caring too much about, you know, jockeying for position or something like that. That would drive me crazy. I don't think I could do that. What's giving you comfort these days? I am cleaning like <laughs> as if as if I am moving homes. <laughs> so I'm I feel that I'm going through some sort of catharsis where I just I literally don't want anything I own. I I don't want to own anything. And so I'm I'm having this I'm soothing myself by being ruthlessly editing everything I own, like taking pictures off the walls, rolling up carpets, getting selling <laughs> everything. Like I just I just want to start in, with a kind of blankness and rebuild from there. Mm-hmm. That's what's right. calming me down, honestly. But I, I mean, I read and I, as I mentioned, I hang out with my family all the time. So the, and they actually are quite calming to me in a funny way. Mm. Um, we kind of do this every time, but it is something that a lot of our listeners are curious about. It looks to me, although it's a bit dark where you are, but that you're 
you have a gray streak at the front? Yeah. Are you oh, yeah. I'm growing my hair out since COVID. I'm looking at it. Yeah. I uh, was like deathly afraid of having gray hair and then couldn't dye it for six months and am now obsessed with having all my hair gray again. Like I, mm-hmm. I have this streak and I'm just cannot wait for it to grow out all the way and just embrace it. Like I, I think that's been the best development from COVID for me personally. <laughs> it's just that, <laughs> is that uh, I like truly don't care. And I, um, I like my gray hair, which was a shock. I've been gray since my 20s. I hid it. You would never, I would never have admitted it. I didn't want to see it. I would dye it every three weeks. And now I'm like totally going really, really gray. I mean, it's really white in certain spots. So we'll see. Wow. Yeah. And what's the reaction been with your coworkers? Well, they seem to like it, but it's all women. And they're all like, they're all, (laughs) they're all younger women. And they, um, they don't care what I do with my hair, you know, one way or the other. (laughs) And, um, and, and there's not, to be honest, there's very little, sort of emphasis on um, the external, you know, competitiveness of where I work. So it doesn't really matter. And that, and that's what's been great. It's like one of the reasons I didn't do it before was that I would have to appear on TV or I'd have to appear at an event and I didn't want to have that half grow out. That was just a nightmare. But no one has seen me really except for Zoom <laughs> the last six months. So I thought if, if ever I was going to do it, now's the time. So... Yeah, it's fun. I love it. I would. I feel so good about it that I feel almost like an evangelist about it. <laughs> I think it looks really nice. And oh, by the like, every woman I see on the street is doing it. I don't know if that's because my radar is up for it or mm-hmm. just because I live in Brooklyn and literally everyone has decided to do the same exact thing. But um, yeah. it's like all women with half grown out hair. It's pretty funny. It's going to take years, actually, right. though, to get it to be the way I would like it to be. Thank you, Stella. Yeah, thanks. Um, Everybody go read all of Stella Bugby's writing on The Cut. Uh, listen to The Cut's podcast and their new season is out now. And do you want people to find you on social media? I am actually private now on social media, but um, okay. but I do allow people to follow once I've vetted them. I had experienced some harassment, so I um, went private. And oh. then... Now I realize half the people on Instagram are just bots. So when I go, when somebody requires, <laughs> when somebody asks if they can follow me, I will look at them and if they seem like a human being, I will allow them to follow me. <laughs> okay. Most of our listeners are human beings. So yeah, be I hope yeah, so. I hope crossed. they're all human beings. Yeah. yeah, I'm on Instagram. Bots would be great for our numbers, though. Bots are welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you guys for having me. It was fun. And I, I'm glad we kept our cameras on and I could see you both the whole time, which is nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis and Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.